With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Nerf This, the esports show that's only a little bit more exciting than a trip to Fancoba. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. I don't know if I got that reference. To, to what? A trip to Fancoma. Eating turkey. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, oh, some sort okay. of heathen? I got it. I, okay, I guess I got it. Moving along. <laughs> Sorry, we're like three seconds into the show. I'm like, uh, moving along. I've I've already <laughs> lost all track of what is going on. Oh man, we got a lot to get to today. We're gonna talk about uh, Blizzard blowing up the Overwatch esports landscape again. Kevin Hit is back to talk to us about Astralis and Big going into the Boston Major, and BR Esports Alex Magdalino is back to talk a little bit about the roster changes that happened this week in both NALCS as well as the LCK. But first, we're going to talk about Seven's favorite subject. No, it's not Turkey. It is Hearthstone. We started to get reveals last week? Late last week? Middle last week? Uh, 20th, yeah. Yeah, so a week from a week from today. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of unveils. We're not going to talk about all of them. We're going to talk about some of Seven's favorites. And we're going to start with <laughs> King Togwaggle. I'm pretty sure you just picked this one because you like the name. We've got a legendary minion, neutral, eight cost, and with a 5 5 battle cry. He's a 5 5 with a battle cry of swap decks with your opponent. Give them a ransom spell to swap back. You know what we should do first? We should uh, swap beer stories or beer references. Do you have oh, a beer for this week? Yeah. You just jumped right into content. You Sorry, I forgot about The only beer. reason why I'm on the show. Is I know. The beer. This is the only segment that you know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> Did you get one this week or no? Continue. Moving oh, along. You, you didn't. Oh, okay, you didn't. You totally forgot beer? I did. Oh, I'm man. sorry. So it, in your stead, I did pick up a cider. I picked up uh, uh, Schilling's Hard Cider um, They're uh, here in, in, Col- or in Columbus. Holy crap. I like went back like a decade of where I've lived. <laughs> this t- I, I'm sick today, so I probably shouldn't be drinking, shouldn't be this caffeinated. You shouldn't be podcasting um, either, to be fair. I shouldn't be podcasting. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's not going to make any sense. Uh, not that I ever do. But I picked up their uh, seasonal. It's called Chider. It's like a spiced chai cider. It's really good. It's a, it's like the uh, anti-pumpkin spice. Spice cider, yes. basically. 
Uh, this stuff is great. I'm a huge uh, fan since, of the Chider. Like that is one of my favorite ciders. It is. It is actually uh, when they it went out of rotation, they no longer carried it at their cider house. I was a very, very sad puppy. I sat outside and cried uh, for a while. But I, they usually they had it like through like mid to late spring, I think even. So it was, it was definitely my go-to for like the longest time. Is uh, probably one of my favorites as well. Are you stockpiling? Yeah. I will. I will. I mean, it just it just hit, so uh, I think I've got some time. And especially since they ran it for like six months, like seasonal, and it was there for like six months. I was like buying it every time I go in. I'm like, okay, they've got like eight deep. I'm good. I'll just, I'll just buy like one or two, <laughs> and then be like, okay, they only have three left. I'm buying them all. <laughs> so every time it looked like they were low on stock, I just buy everything. Hey, I'm awful. It is well, well worth it. Probably, yeah. I, I of all the things we've drank so far on this podcast, that is my favorite, and I'm actually jealous because I can't get that in Portland at the moment, or at least I have not yeah. found it in Portland yet. So I will. Uh, I'll bring some down to you. Thank you. Maybe yeah, after you're stuff. not sick. Yeah, I won't. Br- I won't bring down the plague. <laughs> Turn your apartment into like a leper colony or something like that. That, that would be horrible. But you it know, would be a chai infused leper colony, which is the best kind <laughs> of leper colony. The limbs, they fall off, but they sure are tasty. They smell creamy and spicy at the same time. Wow. Uh, this is awkward. This is this is a weird. I don't know how to transition from that to King Togwaggle. King Togwaggle. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> one of the reasons, <laughs> all, all the cards that we were kind of talking about today, I think I threw like five into the notes, is just these are cards that I thought were interesting, uh, not necessarily like the best or top cards or the ones that we want to review because, oh, man, they're meta-defining. They're just kind of interesting to talk about and how they change some of the mechanics of Hearthstone. And I feel like nothing really captures the spirit of the set so far, like the king himself, King Togwaggle. The fact that you swap decks with your opponents is pretty, pretty meme right? It's the same as what we're seeing uh, with like the earlier cards that they've already kind of dropped. Uh, things that don't exactly totally wreck the meta, but give you these weird kind of like high roll, maybe something cool happens. Uh, this is essentially like a highlight reel or meme card. Some crazy things could be had from this. Right. Um, There'll be a lot of cool you, plays all over Reddit from these cards. Yeah, I mean, like some of the stuff we've already seen with Marin, right? Where they dropped Marin early, and this kind of falls in that same category. Where like Marin isn't like, oh man, my, my, my deck depends on this. I built my deck around it. It's you get it. Sometimes you get some really cool cards um, or, or really cool effects, but it becomes just highlight reel stuff. And it's not total pure RNG. It's kind of like when this goes off, it's cool. You want to see it happen, right? Um, and you want to see some of the effects from it. And so this is the same way. I think Reddit went batshit on it. Um, <laughs> just like with like all these crazy things we could do. None of them at all make sense. Uh, like Togwaggle plus Renounce Darkness, essentially making them choose either a a completely shitty war a deck with like filled with warlock spells or a maimed class of like you don't even like a hodgepodge of reduced cards. Who knows? <laughs> uh, you could do uns- Explore Ungoro to your deck and then Togwaggle. So you basically give them the uh, the two mana card where it's like discover a random card. So all of their cards are discover random cards. Um, but of course the thing is, is when you play Togwaggle, you, you give them a ransom card, which is a five mana card that allows you to swap decks back with your opponent. So they have the ability to swap back, Right. but some people are getting really, really malicious and they're like, well, 
if I have Hemet in my deck, which is reduces any cards below, I think the cost of three or something like that, <laughs> um, you or, or six even, I think it might even be under six, but you could essentially Togwaggle, get their deck, and then Hemet it. <laughs> or if you have Hemet they, and they Togwaggle you, you could cut their deck in half and then give them basically their deck back, totally wrecked. Um, I love that Togwaggle is now a verb. It is. It's togwaggling. Yeah, it's 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 a fun card. It will never. It'll. I don't see it ever making actual like ladder play. Uh, I can't think of any reason to do this unless you have like a deck full of like counter spells and mana vines. Um, so I want all our uh, listeners to pause the show for a moment, make a note, oh, no. because in like three weeks when Seven comes back and is just bitching because he's losing game after game to togwaggle in the ladder. Mm. Take note of this. <laughs> But I mean, outside of a, of, of a like pure mill strategy where they don't get the king's ransom, so if they have a full hand, and there's there's times where I'm playing on ladder now that uh, I I keep in cold light oracle because uh, in this warlock deck that I have, which is kind of like kind of helps like destroy some of their cards because a lot of decks are very combo heavy right now because right. we're going into like long games, and so having the ability to just mill one or two of those combo pieces just wrecks their deck, right? And so. Uh, you take that piece, and, and if they happen to have maybe already at like nine nine cards, and you have the ability to, well, you can't really cold light on the same turn, so it's kind of hard to figure that out. But if you have a way of, maybe they're sitting at 10 cards, and they're going to mill themselves, and you can togwaggle, they don't get that card back, you get their deck, they get yours. But at the same point in time, it's like, hey, could they still win with your deck? It's It's not a card that is... Again, meta defining or anything like that. It's a, it's a highlight real card. It might be something cool and wild that we can do. Um, it, Does ransom go do. directly into their hand? Yeah. Okay. That's and that's the thing. If their hand's full and they can't get it, then right. therefore they can't get their deck back. But I mean, there were even, even things like Archbishop, Archbishop Benedictus. So you can essentially combine decks. So you togwaggle them, Archbishop Benedictus, which combines your deck and their deck. So when they take it back they're getting both decks and so it totally dilutes their deck but at that point in time like well they, do they just want to play with your deck because they might win <laughs> like, so there's a lot of weird things you essentially like you have to be uh conscious of whether or not you're giving them better cards or not so you either have to build a crappy deck that could last long enough to pull off this meme it just everything that red was coming up was like well if i had 14 mana i could do this yes but yeah exactly it just it doesn't make a ton of but of you sense. get to use both togwaggle and benedictus in as verbs in the same sentence which just makes it all worth it the benny waggle it would be the ben, the benny I just waggle. gave him the benny waggle it was great <laughs> uh, next up we have psychic screen this is an epic pre-spell seven mana shuffle all minions into your opponent's deck and then Togwaggle. Uh, yeah, Togwaggle. So this, um, I'm not really sure how to take this one. I think a lot of people are kind of mad at this. So a priest is essentially getting a version of Vanish. So it takes every minion that's on the board and throws it into their deck. So it doesn't destroy them, which means it doesn't trigger off any kind of death rattle stuff. Right. It can't be used from a priest standpoint with any of their things like Eternal Servitude, which allows them to discover a dead minion. I mean, you could, in theory, do, like, mind games or devour minds and kind of get your minions back. But that's point, at the same point in time, like, you just gave them your minions, and you're not guaranteed to get them back. So I'm not sure where it plays out in, in the sense of how do I use my minions against them. There's a lot of theory stuff going on. Right. 
But what it is is essentially a full board clear at a seven mana cost. So this means at turn two, they have a one damage to everybody plus heal with Spirit Lash. Turn four, they have an Akanai in Circle, which is four damage to everything. Turn four, they could also use Dustbreaker, which is a new card, which is a dragon, which does three damage to all other minions if you hold a dragon, and that's a four drop. So again, another clear at three, or nearly clear at three damage on turn four. Turn five, they've got Holy Nova, uh, or just, well, normally it's just Raza on Curve. Uh, Turn (laughs) six, we're looking at Dragon Potion, now turn seven, Psychic Scream. Like, they have full board clears up until Anduin. (laughs) Right, they basically can get to any late game strat that they want. Yeah, because in all these cards that I've mentioned, you can have two of in your deck. So there's essentially one, two, three, four, five, six, like, I don't know, half of your deck. What other class can curve out board clear through turn seven? (laughs) Right, right. And so, and especially with some of these other cards, which we'll get to later, it's not only are they allowed to uh, essentially board clear, but they could be getting minions after the fact because of it, or because they have these big board clears getting minions stronger minions because of it so it's it kind of sucks that they got this really good uh board clear because it works so well right now with like some of the highlander decks the rosakis uh makes a uh, priest they, they, they make them more deadly because they before again you could only have one dragon uh yeah. dragon potion you could only have one holy nova most people aren't really holy nova but uh now you could you've given them at least one more board clear in a kind of that one of deck. Uh, and so I think we're going to see this Rosakis Highlander Priest. It's not going away. Not, not, not this set. Nope. And Priest also gets a legendary dragon in Temporis. Seven mana, six, six with a battle cry. Your opponent takes two turns, then you take two turns. Yeah, this is another one of those cards which you have to be careful in which you play it. And a lot of people, uh, especially on Reddit, made the assumption that it's like a turn 10 play and you're just either dead by playing it, uh, you're already winning, therefore you don't need to play it, or you're playing it and you're just kind of BMing people, or you're dumb for playing it. Uh, right. So, uh, but for some control matchups without an, like a an, uh, one-turn kill or an OTK win condition, you're not really in danger of dying. And this isn't a turn 10 play. This is a, could possibly be like a turn 9 um, especially with, you know, you couple this with now, like I just mentioned, all the board clear abilities, and there's nothing on the board <laughs> when you roll into, like, turn turn 8, turn 9, because you've removed it all. And so uh, if you go into those, uh, those turns and your opponent has emptied their hand, it could be a smart play, right? Give them two turns to dump something on the board. You get two turns back. You just wipe it again with one of your you know, uh, one of many reason, ways to remove it, uh, and then you take another turn again on top of it. So uh, think of this. You you drop a Doomsayer and this on turn nine, okay? So your opponent has to deal with both or uh, just lose to some sort of, like, uh, you could essentially do your 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 Divine Spirit Inner Fire combo because you have two turns to do it. So you could do right. a Felorc Soul Fiend, which is a seven health, I believe, uh, double down on Divine Spirits, Inner Fire it, and you basically have an 8-mana, 28-26 on your next turn to smash them in the face with. Yeah, and like <laughs> so you said, and they have the tools to make sure that they can get that yeah. done, right? Right, and that's not hard to do because we see that combo a, a lot, right? And so 
if they leave anything on board, say they leave the five five on board, you don't you don't even have to have another piece of that combo, right? And so, I mean, hell, even mind control, divine spirit, inner fire, win again. I mean, you could you have twenty mana, or in this case, uh, if we did on turn, yeah, you've got twenty mana essentially to to deal with it. And it can a priest win with twenty mana and you not do anything? Yeah, we're seeing Highlander priests win on with ten mana on one turn because all their spells are stupid cheap. Yep. So <laughs> all they've got to do is set it up to make sure they can survive two turns in a row. And I get it. It's a little bit harder when you're talking turn nine, turn 10, because the threats against you on the opposite right. side of the board, even with the clear board are fairly big, but that also assumes that you don't have anything else going on on your board, right? Like I think it will definitely see some late game play that I don't know what that'll end up looking like, but I think there's enough options out there that is it's like you said, it's not an auto play. It's not like an auto win. Like you have to be smart about when you play it. But I think the math exists out there to tell you the right time to play it and when you can probably get away with it, especially when you're talking about in competitive and you know what's in your I mean, ladder a little bit harder. But in competitive, when you know what's in your opponent's deck, you know what options are in there to potentially take you down in that double turn. Yeah, and this could, uh, especially with, uh, you know, Hearthstone going really late and late and late in these games and going into very control-heavy meta, you're not looking at an ag- at aggro decks as much, um, or if you are in a tournament situation, you can kind of pair this up with a deck that you know is going to be slower, um, and maybe one that tries to grind grind people out, like Dead Man's Hand, Warrior, or anything like that, right? So, you know, giving them two turns to do no no damage, but try and mill you, and then give you two turns to essentially destroy them is uh, a pretty big advantage in your favor. So, I think this doesn't really help too much in like a mirror match. But it could be something that sways. Even even one in there. If, at, at seven mana, it's a six six dragon, so you at least get some kind of body on board. Yep. Um, with a so they still have to synergy. deal with. Yeah, the, I mean, dragon synergy, but you still have to deal with that. They still have to deal with that um, with that body on board because if you do, I think like the divine spirit inner fire combos, you have to be watchful of that. Yep. Uh, so, you, like I said, if you start pairing with things that they have to deal with, if they have to spend one of those turns dealing with you then you're only giving them one turn, and you're getting two out of it. Exactly. Unless they, of course, leave something for you to deal with. <laughs> you have something decent on board. Like, if you do a board clear, right? Because let's assume you've used Psychic Scream, like, turn eight, turn nine. You go into this. You drop Temporis. You already have something else on board, even if it's, like, a mid-sized body, right? Like a four or a five. You now have a four and a five and a six, and you're going to have to do something about at least one of those, if not both, if you want any chance of surviving the, once the priest comes around and does their double turn, regardless of what combos are available. So I think that's going to be the key to it is to basically make one of those two turns worthless and just hope that they don't have a you know lethal right. in a single turn. Well, And if they don't have anything in their hand, right, you, you've kind of uh, depleted their hand or maybe yep. even like Hunter. Hunter into a late game, might as well just call it quits at this point, right? Exactly. As a Hunter, you can give me two turns. Unless I pull Call of the Wild, I'm not going to be able to populate my board with enough damage to even punch a priest hard enough in the face to to, to even warn. Yeah, if somebody's that, that top to, like, decking. Get close to winning. Yeah, if somebody's top decking, there's not going to be a whole lot. Then combos are off the table unless you get super right. lucky, right? Yeah. Like unless there's a draw mechanic and a druid or something of that nature. Right. Like, for the right. most part, you can feel pretty safe playing it. So... Priest, yep, not looking like it's getting any weaker. No, I think they've uh, so far, outside of maybe some of their legendary stuff, which is kind of quirky. Um, I think they've 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 only gotten stronger with dragon and board clears, and I just 
there's still going to be a tier one class. 100%, I think. Yep. So let's look at a couple minions. So we got Spiteful Summoner. This is a neutral epic minion. Six mana, four, four. With a battle cry of reveal, a spell from your deck. Summon a random minion with that same cost. Yeah, I, I think I jokingly referred to this as Jousting Portal. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, uh, again, with the, the meta leaning towards these longer games, more control, um, uh, more control-heavy decks are, with big spells could find a lot of tempo with this, right? So there's very little downside to it. Uh, even if you look at some six-mana cards that maybe summon, uh, there's the Ogre one, uh, I can't remember the name of it, where summons a 1-1 one, one and a 6-6. A six, six for i believe six now this is still going to give you a four four and at the minimum a one cost minion if you have a one cost spell in there but you could get really ridiculous with this right so some of the um uh, we already think ultimate infestation is really annoying to deal with now imagine you drop this ui gets pulled up so you get a a 10 mana (laughs) you get a 10 mana minion for six so you're getting 16 mana worth of a of, of minions on turn six that can get really ugly, right? Yep. So even though it's rare, but I mean, even when you're doing things like you, a lot of these decks uh, really only run like maybe one ofs of some of these cards. Uh, Paladin, I think, actually is in a really good space for this because there's not a ton of spells in, in, in like Murloc Paladin currently. I think some of them only run one like like one Spike Ridge Steed. So playing this, you're guaranteed to get a six mana minion on top of it. So it's as a solid minion, I think it could easily be in the control deck, kind of like that Bone Mare auto add in some right. ways. I could be completely wrong. Six mana slots, depending on the deck, uh, I mean, you're not going to get rid of like uh, Spreading Plague to put this in. So it is a, a kind of a hefty uh, card to put in there, but the upside is so, so good. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. I don't see why you wouldn't. No, exactly. And then last but not least, we have another epic elemental neutral minion, Arcane Tyrant. Costs five, four, four. Costs zero if you cast a spell that costs five or more this turn. It's a free body for any spell-based decks. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I mean, it's it's perfect for establishing something on the board after a large clear. And we, we've talked about that. Hi, Priest. Uh, with, with Priest, right? So you basically wipe their board, and if you happen to have two in these hand, two of these in, in your hand, uh, you now have eight mana worth of minion, or you know, basically four four and a four four on board. So you still have something. And there's your and board presence they, to get to those later seven, eight, nine turns. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's still something they have to deal with. Uh, I, I mean, granted, we're talking about a perfect scenario where you got like six different cards and it's all in line, but it's not unheard of. Nope. Even with like things like Twisting Nether. Uh, it allows you. That's it's one of those cards that uh, allows you as a warlock to uh, wreck the board. Even with Doom, you could wreck the board, draw cards. But you normally, as a warlock, don't have a ton of stuff that is very damaging on turn ten, right? Even on right. turn eight uh, or nine, that you could do to kind of put on that board to do something uh, to to establish any kind of threat. So this is allowing you, in some ways, to clear a board and establish. A minion on the board, which is generally pretty rare. Um, even with you look at uh, uh, Flame Strike, you know, and, uh, for a mage, it's seven mana, four man, four damage across the the board to do it. But after that, like they don't normally have a ton of really good minions to drop for one, two, and three, right? And so this will allow you a four four body, possibly two, 
if you have two in your hand. And so it's, it's, uh, I think it's, I I think mage is going to use this a a ton, but there's a lot of things. I mean, we already, we already talked about how annoying spreading plague is as druid, uh, to get a bunch of one, one fives for every minion that you have. And then no, a free four, four, like, it's like, fuck more. Uh, so it's, and even UI, you dropped ultimate infestation. There's a really good chance if you didn't have one in your hand, you could draw two. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and then exactly. you have it. It's just it makes um, cards like ultimate infestation uh, basically a, a twenty cost card for ten, and it's 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 going to see play for right. sure. Yeah, the the odds are in your favor here. That worst case, the downside is a free four four after a five yeah. spell. If not, it, you could have just like a beast of a move after a board clear. You could double up on them. You can, you know, uh, there's too many ways this ends well for you for people not to play at least one of these. Yeah, and I think between like Spiteful Summoner and Arcane Tyrant, we're, we're seeing a lot of tempo and board control um, aspects. Or at least you're, you're getting really high value right. by having big spells which we've seen, uh, uh, it seems with, with this set, Blizzard's kind of pushing people to these big endgame spells, and they want to see a lot of, um, it, it, a lot of the pyrotechnics, right? I mean, right. They well, because the, they always talk about they, these the epic plays, right? Like they they right. want these moments that make you feel epic at the end of a match, and this is definitely setting a lot of those up. Just by allowing yeah, you mean, to get there, right? Because when you take the early meta of the zoo grind, dead by turn four or five, that we lived in for a, quite a long time. This gets us well away from that. Not that we haven't been for a bit, but this firmly plants where it's like they clearly want us. They want mid game to matter as a stepping stone mm-hmm. to late game. They don't want it to just be. And it actually makes it a little more interesting in the mid game because it's no longer just like stall, stall, stall. Right? Like we don't have the freeze mage right. type situation where it's literally like let me play whatever I can to just make this boring as hell until I get to turn ten or turn fifteen or wherever we're at. Now it's like, okay, let's give you some interesting things to do to force you into spells in that mid-range. They'll put bodies on the board. Yeah, and I think both with like Spiteful Summoner and Arcane Tyrant, we, Mage doesn't play a ton of of minions just in general. It right. seems like a lot of the meta has just that middle area is either gaining cards or stalling like you mentioned. They play a lot of smaller minions. Unless you're playing Secret Mage and you have some of the... the I think it's like Crystal Weaver. I'm going to say Crystal Weaver is probably totally wrong. Um, you, you've got a couple of, that are like reduced cost because you've played Secrets, right? Or you right. uh, you you get uh, whatever the 4-3 is allows you to play a free Secret. So there, there's benefits to it, but they're generally like 5 and under, right? Like there's, there's not a ton of them outside of, uh, you know, your key legendaries. Right. <laughs> um, which we all know who that is. Mm. Uh, uh, Antonidas, hello. And, and then... That's that's it. Like you don't see a ton of other ones, and so it, this allows them to have some kind of presence. I mean, that's where uh, Firelands Portal why it became almost auto include in so many decks. It's like deal five damage and get a minion out of it. It's, it's essentially uh, a ten mana card for seven, and and so it's all about the value. These these, these cards are just get value and tempo gains and allowing you some board control. And even crazier stuff. I mean, there's some weird things I think you could do with Spiteful Summoner and just loading your deck with, like, you know, Mind Control, Pyroblast, Ultimate Infestation, pull a 10, ten mana minion out. <laughs> and then what happens then? Uh, you could essentially Yashiraj into Antonitis on turn six. 
uh, which is pretty damn stupid. We're getting a lot of <laughs> insight into the theory crafting that goes on in your head every time one of these new cards drops. Yeah, it's it it can be completely ridiculous. And but we've seen like like uh, like big priest uh, or just some of this like Yashraj, like high roll priest. It, again, it's it's a high roll card. You could do something crazy with it, or you could do something absolutely meh wah, wah. with it. But generally, a meh is still going to equate to maybe a two two. Uh, Which is still extra minions? value out of that card, right? Because the card is yeah, not bad for the cost. For I mean, six for a four four, and even it puts a two two on the board. It's not the worst thing in the world, it, right? It's it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But uh, it, there's better value. But it could could be game breaking or game winning uh, if with the right amount of tempo. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So. A lot more cards to come. Actually, next week we're going to have Dr. J, pro gamer from uh, Space Station Gaming, and John Horseman from the Well Met Podcast to uh, talk a little bit more Hearthstone. So, exciting stuff. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Overwatch Contenders. And we're back. And... It would not be a, a, a month in esports, I guess. It seems like a monthly cycle. Or, not that kind of a monthly day. cycle. <laughs> it's that kind of. It's that time. Jesus, I don't know how to recover from that. Overwatch contenders is blowing up the esports scene. So Blizzard has we we you and I had heard reports and we've had some discussions with folks and we knew that like the premier series in China, the Pacific Championship, mm-hmm. as well as OGN Apex the Korean league were coming under fully the blizzard umbrella and being part of like the overwatch ecosystem. We knew that was going to be a thing. What we thanks didn't to know- our IHOP source. Yeah. Yes. Thanks to our IHOP source. Uh, what we did not know was that they were going to blow them up completely, bring them under the contenders banner, make them now qualifiable only via the new overwatch open tournament system, the promotion relegation system they put in place for contenders, as well as adding both Australian and South American regions to the contenders umbrella as well. And this is... I don't like this move. I don't... Like, the labeling of it, I could care less, right? Like, if you want to call it Overwatch Contenders Korea versus OGN Apex, that's fine. But now that you're kind of making it part of the farm system, and maybe I'm a little naive and I I don't understand the full impact to Apex post-Overwatch League, where a lot of the players have obviously left Apex teams and will move on. But it just feels like it's devaluing, especially Apex and Premier Series, which have had some pretty high-quality play, in my opinion, to make it part of the contender system. And I think that's the part that is not settling well with me. Ask me in two weeks, and maybe I don't give a crap anymore. But I think right now, as a fan of Apex, I watch it quite frequently. I think the quality of play is good. We're seeing people like Flower, for example. This now explains the Flower rumor, by the way, because there was talk of him going and playing for Excelsior in the contender squad, and they were going to have a contender team. Now we know why that works, because there's also no region locking. So it will not have to be Korean players playing in Overwatch Contenders Korea. It can be anybody from anywhere. So it's just really just like a hodgepodge of shit to create like this middle layer. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? To me, this just feels, again, heavy-handed, a little much, hard to support. There's a lot of teams being injected into the system. Is there this many top-tier Overwatch players? So many questions that I have. Yeah, I think think a farm system had to be put in place. I, I feel like... 
Uh, granted, we don't know the details of how they absorbed Apex or how much control Apex still has over the old league, or yada, yada, yada. Uh, whether or not it just becomes kind of like, you know, you have our official backing, kind of like a, a major does, right, in, in CSGO. People can throw a major, you just kind of get some Valve backing and or money to do it, and right. you have to follow Valve's guidelines. So it's, if you think of it in that sense, then they're running all these uh, independent leagues or smaller leagues, well, which is this sorry smaller regions or different regions uh under the contenders banner and i and i think that's i think it's good i'm not against this uh despite your i'm angry uns- you you being unsettled with it um the thing that it does is uh concern me a little bit the thing that does concern me a little bit is is the amount of pressure that this puts on the open league or just the uh every season and the sr ranking and how that works and how that pans out because most people aren't really certain how the hell SR works to begin with. And I think um, that system of how you rank people, because that's how they kind of pull people in. Right. Like uh, that's how you qualify to be in the right. open division. Right. Is with your SR ranking. And so based on how well you do on a season depends on how well you can get in and what teams you get in on and yada, yada, yada. And, and because of that, I feel like because that's, there's not a clear insight to how that happens, I don't know if there's going to be changes to that system, if changes have to happen because of that system, but I feel like that there's going to be a, an absolute shit ton of drama because of that. Right. And I think it's even going to get maybe more vigorous. This could be why they're putting in all these like bumpers for people who are just awful in, in voice chat <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's going to get even uh, more ridiculous and more competitive, I think, uh, which is good and bad. I mean, I feel like every, you know, every, for every bronze or gold player, Whatever they they're going to experience the same stuff. They're not really looking at that top top tier, right? But I think there's a ton of pressure on the Overwatch dev team to get that system right. And I feel like after all of these seasons, they still don't have it dialed in. I think there's no. still a lot of mystery of like, I won and I you know as a support player and I got 20 SR, even though everybody on my team got like 40, and then I lose one match and. Everybody on my team drops 10, and I dropped 40. What the hell just happened? You know, so, and there's been a lot of no- SR gaming, too, with like multiple accounts yeah. and people dropping yep. to drop lobby. and all. It's it's not a great system. And again, like those are generally things that we care about as gamers. But when you start to add this extra pressure, as you've put it, for professional qualification, like if your goal, whether it's Farfetch'd or not, is to become a professional Overwatch player, and your only way into that system or or the likely way into that system is to show off via this sr rating and that sr sucks or is not or is very opaque or seems inequitable like that's a problem and whether it actually is a problem as in like someone can go and show you hard numbers where some great player is getting screwed it doesn't matter because the perception is there and the perception will be enough to make it a problem I think the other issue that I have, and this is not too dissimilar from what I talked with Jules about around the HGC, is this is a lot of pro-level Overwatch. This is a lot of organizations. This is a lot of regions. Is there the sustainability for all these seven now contenders regions, the Overwatch League teams, plus the Open teams, plus the regular top-tier players qualifying for the Open. That is a shit ton of Overwatch teams. It, 
it, it is a shit ton of Overwatch teams, but Blizzard's not footing the bill for anything outside of... No, no, I get that, but, group, like, so. contenders and up are pro-level teams. Like, those are people that are making salaries and getting money, whether it be small, you know, regardless of how small it is, for that. And it's not even about the support from a professional, like, money standpoint. It's just, what is this, the quality of play drop-off going to be? I mean, look at NAHGC. It's like three teams worth of shit. And the rest of them are kind of bleh. And obviously Overwatch is much bigger than Heroes of the Storm, but is it so big that there's that many pro good <laughs> Overwatch players? I think that's why there's no region locking in all honesty. Yeah, you got to shuffle them because they're all in Korea and we're just going to distribute them through the rest of the world. No, I mean, I'm not going to just say that they're all in Korea, but it, it's... I think there's no region locking for a reason because uh, there won't, there may not be enough quality people or even enough of a of a pool of players to pull from certain regions and to like Australia to field a team. South America are perfect examples, right? It, very much. It, it could it could very much be like those reasons or those regions are one of the peop- one of the reasons why they're they're pushing in that direction, right? So I, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think there's going to be like a, a huge. Well, there will be a huge drop off. I don't think there's like so much Overwatch. We're not going to be able to handle it. I mean, like you look at, you know, League has had the Challenger series for so long, and it yeah, hasn't been like oh my, what's that? And they're ditching it. Well, they are. They are because they're footing the bill for the entire thing, and they don't. In all honesty, they don't know how to handle the the Challenger stuff. They want to be able to sell the spots, not have a relegation, right? And so that's part of the deal, I guess. Um, it, but we still haven't figured out how Overwatch is even going to handle like winners from Challengers and pulling them up, and how do they get spots? Right? It's like, hey, you won Challenger, great job. Here's a free twenty million dollars spot in the league. Well, no, and that's like, the thing. It has not about the teams. It's about the players. That's the that's the pitch right. that they're selling is that it's the players right. doing well in contenders that get you ready for a league spot. So, what is the value if I own a contenders team? Well, and that's the, that's the thing is you if you. If you have, if if it's about the players, you need a lot of players in a pool to sort out and find, right? You need to be able to put a spotlight on a ton of different teams and a ton of different players to find the good ones. If it's just about teams, you run a tournament and whoever bubbles to the top, cool, they're like good five players. But that doesn't help you if you're trying to find, yeah, a bunch of different teams worth of players to add in to rosters, right? And so So I think that's. I think that's part of their reasons. They they want a, a broad spot, like a broad spotlight to see who kind of pops up there because there may be good players on crappy teams. And so if you if you go team based route where you have to have so many wins, you have to have so many, uh, you have to make your way through this tournament to the end, and then you're in you're in the spotlight. You're going to lose a lot of the good people on crap teams. Right? No, no, I, I completely get the. Here's the part that I'm struggling with. If I am envious and I have an Overwatch contender squad, which I do, what is the what is my value prop here? Like, what are you telling me is the value in me as envious who has as a organization no direct route into the Overwatch League? Yeah, talk about prize pools of fifty thousand dollars. Are you going to let me sell players under contracts to Overwatch League teams? I mean, are we go in Premier League World Soccer model where, like, I own the rights to Flower? Or 
do there's a lot of vagueness around who's going to end up in contenders they talk about up to or at least six teams that will be transferring over and we already know that excelsior is rumored to have an overwatch contenders team does this just become what league was actually trying to get away from which is a bunch of sister franchises in contenders that operate as farm clubs that would seem regardless of what we've said in the past about that system that would seem like the best way to go forward. We've talked a lot about the Major League Baseball model, and maybe this is what happens, right? Like, all these clubs in the Overwatch League get themselves Overwatch contender squads, and they raise players up through their system that way. Like, that's the only way it really makes sense long-term to me. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know what a Team Envious, for example, gets out of having an Overwatch contender squad. I, I think part of it is you're, you are getting players. I'm sure you're locking them into some sort of contract um it could be feeding your own teams it could be a, a source of income like we, you see some mid-table premier league teams get uh you know have their uh, they have their their own system which they bring up players through they kind of make it into the first team or whatever and then they sell them off for like a lot of money for sure right? And so that could but be that a way of, of monetization. But that requires the contracts. We know we don't know the answer to this. Yeah. That requires yeah. the contracts to be able to be shuffled that way, right? Mm-hmm. We see this. It happened as recently as the last few weeks with NALCS and Team Liquid basically taking some Immortals players under contract and then turning around and what we assume is flip and make some money when those team those players like a day later all of a sudden no longer are on Team Liquid. So there there's ways of doing it, but it has to be allowed via the system, and this is something that we do not know about the Overwatch League or contenders, that if I lock down Flower and I'm envious or I'm Cloud9, can I sell Flower to Excelsior? Or is there yeah, a release I, clause we- in his contract or whatever the case may be? We don't know, and also, and, and I mean, again, we're speculating way ahead of the fact that they just announced that they're that's doing the it. That's the fun so. of Overwatch League, because they just give us, like, <laughs> one sentence why. information and tell us to come back later. That's the reason why nobody loves us. Uh, no, I, I think that's... Nobody you, loves you raise them. some good questions around what is the viability of it, how do these teams make money, or how are they sustainable? I mean, you can't have another denial esports team out there where like hey look we're selling people but we aren't paying them <laughs> like yeah of course they'll go to any <laughs> that's team that's a great way to contract. make a sustainable org yeah just don't pay people so i i think that um they are skirting uh, a, a a zone or an area that riot wanted to get away from uh to focus i think just on building their core league i think this is maybe a really really big jump for again a year one where you're, you're essentially building three leagues in one now um, I could understand two, um, and maybe let the, the challenger teams, maybe have more challenger teams and let them find these key players, however they want to do them, let them run their own tournaments, let them look on the SR, like how, I mean, if you look at the, they took, uh, originally the a list of all the top players in terms of SR and then gave them to the teams and allowed those teams to kind of, um, source their, their, their players, uh, their, that they want to put under contract from that. Right. So it wasn't just, Hey, Here's who's won in Apex. Here's who won. Who's won in other like tournaments and leagues. It's they they had a list of of people who uh, opted in basically to possibly be in the Overwatch League based on right. their SR rating. You're uh, and that's so, where and that's where I think the problem is, right? I think there's just yeah. too much uh, unnecessary process here. Like let contenders continue to exist. Like regardless of how I feel about the, the new regions, it's fine. 
have contenders be that middle layer. Let them pull the players how they've pulled the players. All this open stuff and promotion and relegation. And this is coming from the, the two advocates of the keep the dream alive concept. And I get like applause to Blizzard for like going all in on that concept. But in the end, I think you're right. Like season one, as we've talked about many times, is going to be a shit show. Anyone yeah. who doesn't think that's well, the case. And this just I, adds to the complication of running the ecosystem for the next year. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's a tough spot to be in, right? So you could essentially run a challenger league and then let challenger league sort out uh, who gets in there. Like, so a bigger challenger league, and then uh, how do they source people? In? Is it based off of SR? Do you run essentially like a combine at that point and let them pull in from challenger, right? So or pull into challenger. Um, I, I don't know. Again, if you do combine, then you're doing individuals generally, right? You're not doing it based on a group of people. So it might be that two people work really, really, really well together. We see this in a lot of sports. And so having one of the, one piece of that puzzle may not be great. Having them in a combine, they may do horrible. I, I, I don't know, but it's, I feel like almost like a, he, the challenger league pulls has that list of people with the high SR and like, Hey, you can pull those people. Uh, you can pull those people in without it having makes more sense. Yeah. Without having to have that middle extra open layer, that, that third layer. Yeah. That, the, the bottom scrub open layer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so well, they said they'll have more information in December. I imagine it'll be coming out around the time of the preseason, probably near the end where they have to start really finalizing things before the season kicks off in January. Until then, the sky is falling. It's all broken. Damn it, Blizzard. It'll never work. (laughs) (laughs) Overwatch League is dead because of this decision. But I am sad to see Apex kind of get... Here's what... Let me rephrase this. I am apprehensive about what's going to happen with the teams and when they blow things up. Like, that's the thing that is going to be interesting to see. Like, they've been very vague about how that team selection process, and we do know that there is potential for organizations in Overwatch League to have contenders franchises. So we'll see how that all plays out. But moving on, next, Seven you once again get the chance to sit down with Kevin Hitt, and this week we are going to be previewing the next two Legends teams going into the Boston Major, which is Big and Astralis. Hello, everyone. I'm here again, once again, with with Kevin Hitt, the amazing Kevin Hitt. Thank you again, Kevin, for joining us to talk a little bit about the E-League Major and the Legend teams. And today, uh, I believe I'm going to let you weigh in on Astralis and Big. Two teams with kind of, you know, made it to the same tournament, but um, uh, two teams with completely different styles. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of people are, uh, you know, surprised that Big made it as a major team, as a legend team, I should say, but um, they earned it and uh, not sure they're going to last that long in this next major. Yeah. I think you mentioned a little bit that they're on a bit of a downhill run at the time. I think they maybe peaked uh, late summer or very, very early, early fall. No, actually, I don't think, I think it was late summer. They were, they were doing well, uh, kind of popping up in some tournaments. I think they did like second at DreamHack Denver. Uh, They did drop out to cloud nine. That was kind of their, their most recent stuff. They're middle of the pack at Krakow Major. They did win the Krakow Minor Qualifier, uh, but since then, they've been on a, a bit of a slide. Yeah, you know, they've lost 11 of their last 12, and, um, you know, they're losing, again, they're losing to teams. Um, some, you know, online matches, I don't um, weigh them as heavily as land matches, but still, mm-hmm. I think they count. Um, you know, they're losing to teams like Envious, LDLC, and then Aries, and then some team, you know, that's got, you know, all A's in their name, something like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, 
you know, it's it's very difficult to truly understand this team. Um, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes teams get hot, right? I mean, you as long as you're somewhat talented and you play so many standard deviations from the mean in terms of um, what you're about, um, you can get hot and get good at a certain tournament. And boy, did they get hot, you know, at the right one to make it to legend status, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the dream of CSGO is to make it to legend status, you know, mm-hmm. you get stickers and you're guaranteed money and it's a big deal and, and things like this. But, um, you know, looking at their recent results and things that are happening, um, I'm just not really high on this team making it out of, um, Boston without having to qualify for the next major. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting call. Uh, let's let's move on to uh, one of, uh, I think, both of our favorite teams. I, I am a, a well-known Cloud9 fan, but Astralis has uh, been a great story to follow in the last couple of years. Let's talk about them. Uh, they've uh, run into a little bit of a, a snag here at IEM Oakland, which is currently going on while we were recording this. So, yeah, you know, one of the things I really love about Astralis and, you know, I a lot of people see my, you know, my social media account and they think I'm kind of gruff and I call people out uh, for injustices and things like that. I don't like rude humans. I don't like arrogant humans. I, you know, video games. Uh, and this is going to sound really bad, but if you took <laughs> video games off the face of the planet, not a whole lot of things change. And I'm really blessed to be in this industry and I mean, truly blessed and and happy that, you know, I have any kind of audience and Astralis feels the same way. And that's what I love about these guys is that they feel blessed to be doing what they're doing and to be this successful and to have the fans and they are truly grateful. And so that's why, I mean, I hit it off with those guys right away during interviews and I knew they would be successful. I knew that they were going to find a way. And, you know, once they got the sports psych, uh, um, on board, they started playing very well. And, but recently, you know, they've been hitting a couple of just real life snags, you know, um, just getting sick. Um, you know, device got really ill and had to leave. Um, I am Oakland early. Um, and you know, some people gave Astralis crap for it saying, you know, you had, you had this thing where you were supposed to sign and do a, you know, a meet and greet, but you know, in that instance, I get it. So the entire Astralis team did leave IEM Oakland early, uh, after they lost. Um, but they got fined because they didn't do it, but that doesn't bother me. Um, I know that they have been under the weather for quite some time, actually. And, you know, that kind of accounts for some of the losses they've been taking. And uh, I think the number one thing for Astralis going into Boston is to make sure they're healthy. And it's kind of funny you say that with video game players, you know, because you <laughs> and you move a mouse. It's not like you're running a marathon or things like that. But I'll tell you what, as you know, and all people, you know, that play when you're sick and you're fogged, it's not the same. You're not going to play mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So we need these guys to get healthy. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite all-time stories that, you know, good guys do win. And Astralis is a good guy. You know, all those guys are good guys. And um, I think Astralis is in the hunt to win the entire event. Yeah, I think uh, last year I kind of called it with the, um, I think it was the E-League Season 2 Finals, uh, or just the tournament in general, the, the last playoff pieces. Uh, or part of the bracket this team seems to hinge a lot on zippix even though he's not like the star name that always pops out i mean there are times where i can't remember what tournament was this past year 
Uh, might have even been the maybe it was the major at the beginning in January where he had so many like ridiculous clutches yes. uh, and it, so much like of of this team he depends on whether he's on or off and he doesn't have to be the top of his game but just even like that I don't know the the top three quarters of his game <laughs> and and they just excel and I'm not saying he's like the weakest link it's just he's such. A saw, he's he's like the backbone of the team, and uh, I think going into this major, if he has another major like he did last year, I, I don't see why they wouldn't be top two finish. I mean, they've been kings of third place this year. It seems like I am Sydney, Krakow, uh, even ECS season three, like this third, 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 third. The thing with Zipix is he reminds me a lot of Kiyoshima. Uh, you know, Kyo, mm-hmm. he you know was with Phase, was just steady. You know, he you never heard his name in discussions for MVPs or, you know, he's the greatest player and things like that. But if you look at Zipix over time, the guy is steady. He's been playing at a fairly high level. Um, you know, he, you know, f- from May to August, um, he hasn't he wasn't great, but he's back on form. And when Zipix just plays his game and is steady and as you see he's the rock the backbone of this team that's when astralis is at their best because when zipic performs everybody else quite honestly i think is a little bit more talented but when zipic raises his game so does everybody else and mm-hmm. that's what was unbeatable yeah indeed indeed well thank you kevin for uh joining us once again to talk about the e-league csgo boston major again that starts uh the qualifier kicks off on january 12th and the quarterfinal semis and championships uh are on the 26th through the 28th that is of january uh group stage which happens right in the middle that's january 19th through 22nd so basically uh january just uh don't plan anything on weekends and uh, you can watch a lot of csgo and kevin real quick before i let you go uh where can people find you on the interwebs yeah, you can see me on Twitter at, at Kevin underscore hit. You know, my stuff, I'm living that freelance life right now. So you can see my stuff on ESPN, Red Bull Esports, and a new little venture called Break the Game. So go ahead and check those out. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for uh, giving us a couple of minutes again. No, my pleasure. Glad to be here. <laughs> And we're back, and it is once again time to talk a little League of Legends, and of course, joining us to do so, BR Esports, Alex Magdaleno. Alex, welcome back. Thank you again for having me. Um, hopefully not too many TSM tiers this time as last time. No, no. Last week we had a lot of rumors to discuss. Uh, this week mm-hmm. we have a lot of news to discuss. It has been uh, quite the busy week in the NALCS. And while a lot of those rumors did play out, there was a lot of stuff that we weren't expecting that happened. Um, a lot of shifting going on. So why don't we start off with TSM and talk about the moves they made? Because what we they were the they feel like the first domino that fell that led to a lot of these other moves. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what happened. Um, I think we all knew that those reports that came out last week, there was some validity to them, um, and they were just sort of like growing in terms of like the actual possibility of them happening. And they did happen. Um, TSM now has Sven, they have Mithy, and they have Mike Young added to their roster. And I think a lot of people thought that they would in some way keep maybe Biofrost, um, but... Biofrost, Doublelift, and Svenskeren are now all on different teams, and they've all seemingly 
have gone to the like famous NALCS cartel teams into some of like TSM's biggest competitors. And it's sort of created this entire sort of like vacuum um, where the NALCS is looking very, very different. And I don't think anybody expected it to be this different. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because we, we knew there was going to be some shakeup, right? Like we have these four new organizations. We knew that the – there's a lot of talk initially of like, oh, man, you know, those free agent moves are going to have to take place because of the orgs that are no longer part of the NALCS. But it turned mm-hmm. out like that was the least exciting of the news because of these moves, starting with TSM. Let's move on to CLG. CLG signs both Biofrost and Rainover which was a little bit unexpected. I, I don't think I read as many rumors regarding these moves. Like We knew that like Biofrost was going to have to go somewhere. I, I know some people rumored Team Liquid. We talked a little bit about that th- last week. But now CLG looks very different than we expected. And like in maybe the most drastic ways possible, too, because Aframu is a face of that franchise. He has been since he joined, um, and now he's just up in the air gone like nobody really knows where he's going um there doesn't seem to be really any like rumors or reports coming out around like his location where he's headed but um just to see biofrost on ts or going from tsm to clg pulling that reverse double lift um is that in and of itself is a shocking move but to do that in a replacement of afrimu who yeah like i said face of the franchise who else do they have now on that roster who could like really carry the weight of the brand. Um, and then they, I thought that they would like, you know, find some sort of like sub situation going, uh, with going forward with, um, to replace their jungler spot with Rainover. um, seemed like a very good move. It seemed like a very like beneficial move for everyone involved. You know, team liquid, I think they kind of knew that, um, they had been wasting Rainover for the longest time, Um, They kind of even said as much in their, like, farewell address to him. They were like, you know, he was always a team player, always, you know, one who was there to support the team with any decision, which is, like, I kind of took that as, like, yeah, like, we probably should have played this incredible jungler who basically created Western pathing in in the West. And now he is on a team in a major brand, um, an endemic team to the league. He's not going to, you know, have to go through the trials that I'm sure Golden Guardians or 100 Thieves are going to have to go through and figuring out how to, you know, even compete in the NALCS. So I think it's like, it's great. I mean, as a TSM fan, I'm happy to see Biofrost also in this organization where he's like now thriving uh, and will thrive. And I think the same could be said of Rainover. Yeah, but again, like just very different. Like not not at all what we were expecting. The Afro move, move obviously a big part of that. And speaking of Team Liquid as well, like we had some rumors. Some of those came through X Smithy, Poe Belter, but then Double Lift, which was I think we thought. I don't know. Maybe this is a bit naive, but I think we thought Double Lift and Biofrost may go to the same team because it seemed like if they were both going to be available, why wouldn't you want to take? two players together that had so much experience playing with each other, but that ends mm-hmm. up not being the case. And now Team Liquid looks definitely, in my opinion, stronger than they did coming into the offseason. This is without a doubt the strongest Team Liquid team I think I've ever seen in my six-plus years of watching League of Legends, even when they are cursed. I can't think of a more dominant... This is, I mean, and in my head, I've just been like jokingly calling them like the Avengers because of one that Disney money. And then also like they have every single, like pretty much 
major NA star, um, and then Smithy or, or um, Impact in All A. Um, Impact is still rumored, but it's probably going to happen. Let's be honest. It's happening. Um, so, and, and to your to your question about why not keep the bio lift pairing together, I could totally see that. But then also, you you're able to keep Smithy Pope and Ollie together, which, you know, maybe there's some trade-off there, especially with how important on the competitive scene a jungle jungle support synergy really is. Um, mm-hmm. If you can't really get there, then it's hard to like actually build that in the same way I feel like it might be able to build bot lane chemistry. I would have loved to see them stick together. I think they're, like, a great duo Um Again, I don't mean to like constantly be this emotional TSM fan, but Doublelift's goodbye, TSM goodbye was like very. It was painful to watch him talk about Byerfrost because there's just such a you know they had such a good pairing. But I think that I think that it's not a wrong move to not to split up the bot lane there. Um, I think Doublelift and Ollie will certainly be one of, if not the best bot lane in the NALCS. Yep. You know, you have Zven and Mithy, but I think that Ale is such a lane-dominant support, and his impact with his roams is just so insane. Um, and Doublelift is, you know, self-sufficient, but also loves to play that high-impact in-your-face bot lane. So I don't see them struggling um, to, like, figure out whose bot lane philosophy should take over. I think they're right on the same page. It's just going to take time to, you know, gel as a unit in the same way that it took, it takes any new players to gel as a unit. Well, and it's interesting because you and I spent a good amount of time last week talking about the impact that shifting the roster at TSM was going to have. Now mm-hmm. it feels a little less impactful because almost everybody is going to be in this boat. The amount of roster changes that have taken place in the past week, there's very few organizations, if you take the four new ones, plus all the moves that were made, that like don't have a significant chunk that is different that they're going to have to learn going into the spring split. Yeah, I actually don't think that there's a single roster that is kept intact. I mean, you look at the you look at the rest of the like leagues on an international scale, and you have like Samsung, who are staying together. You have like KT Roster who are staying together. You know, we after the post Worlds conversation we had, we thought that there would SKT would maybe blow up their roster, but it doesn't look like they're doing that. In the NALCS, yes, and maybe it's like a maybe it is a circumstance of the franchising where these teams can make these moves and try out different things and try different combinations of new players or, you know, like if you're Echo Fox, you know, getting rid of your marquee player, again, another face of the organization, Froggen, for somebody like Phoenix, you could maybe do that. Maybe that it's, you don't really need that that face anymore because you have your permanent partner. Um, so it, in a way, it's kind of leveled the playing field in, a, in kind of a way that you would expect a draft to do it where like all of this was been reshuffled and um, the, yeah, there's no one team that is super stacked, but also has a familiarity. I guess team liquid is maybe the one um, in that X Smithy, Pobelter and double lift have all played together before on CLG. And then X Smithy, Pobelter and all a are just carrying over from Immortals. But it's still a whole different team environment, different organization, different coaching structure. Um, those three ex-Immortals players are going to be losing 
Coach Song, who, you know, was a uh, summer split coach of the uh, coach of the split. Yep. And like, what do they look like under Team Liquid's structure, which I think has really been the plague of that organization for the longest time is that they just can't get a functioning structure. They have all this players and all of this like um, development talent and they just kind of let it go to waste. So I don't know. And that's been a problem with liquid, not just in league either. Right. Like that's been a story in CSGO as well. Like it's just team liquid does not have the best reputation right now when it comes to organization. I don't say organizational integrity. It's called organizational structure and ability to like function as a proper esports org. Yeah. that would be the, the one strike against them. The infrastructure has always been lacking there. That's the one thing. But even if you want to look to Counter-Strike as an example of like what the organization is doing, and maybe maybe it's a sign for what is going to be happening in League of Legends, like the team like a Counter-Strike team is full of just like straight NA talent, and they're like booming. So who's to say that that's not the new philosophy around Team Liquid? Like would, Maybe we see nice. the same thing happening. If they yeah. had any sort of unifying philosophy, it would be wonderful. <laughs> but it's it's interesting and we talk about cloud nine cloud nine who had the best showing of the na teams at worlds they get Sven scaring they lose impact they lose contracts but they still I, I don't know like this is the one i'm probably like the least I, I i don't have a solid feeling about how whether they're going to be better or worse at this point because these were like okay moves but not great moves i think it's I think out of those the four we've talked about so far, they're definitely looking the worst for wear. And I say that because you're losing a rock. I mean, Licorice has shown in the Challenger series that he is a you know he's a great up and coming talent, and you know he could easily be the like the next Hauntzer in in the NALCS. But to to replace him for someone like Impact, who you know is still gonna he's gonna be on Tim Le- Team Liquid. He still has a future in the league. He's not done playing competitively in the same way that maybe the Dyrus to Hanser transition happened at that time. Right. Where you like needed to. You needed to invest in this talent. Like Cloud9 could have found ways to maybe secure Impact, who is such a rock for them. He has always been such a rock for them. Such a brand player. Um but then the contracts move was just so strange because this is he's still I mean in my eyes he's not quite He's in the same level as Biofrost. We're like they're not quite veteran players, but they've been in enough like finals that they know the sort of like pressures that come with that. They've been like hardened very quick or quick more quickly than uh, a normal average rookie. But even then, like for him to command a move to like him to look for a new move, and we think Golden Guardians just seems strange. Like there's there's something weird happening at Cloud Nine where. I'm I'm not sure why they weren't able to hold on to one their up and coming jungle star and their top lane rock. Like, I don't know what happened there, but it doesn't look it doesn't look good to me. No, it's and it's a very strange move because I think a lot of people were pretty bullish on Cloud9 like coming out of worlds and feeling like, you know, they had a good showing as far as NA teams are concerned. Mm-hmm. Like they I mean, TSM probably looked Maybe not the entire season, but definitely in early on in the spring split, like looked fairly weak, you know, in comparison to previous years. Like, they're if they could have kept it together, you know, at least the way the landscape looked prior to a couple of days ago, they might have had a fairly good shot at being the team in NALCS. And now, like you said, they with you know 
a couple odd moves and some crazy moves going on with the other organizations, like are looking pretty poor in in comparison. Like, and I don't know, and I wouldn't even say that it's necessarily they've gotten like horrible, but Mm-mm. they've gotten slightly worse, maybe compared to a bunch of other teams that have clearly gotten stronger in significant ways. And like you said, generally, like we were talking before the show, like in general, NALCS feels a little bit stronger at this point, just as a general, even if it's not concentrated on a bunch of different teams, like across the board, it feels like the level of player has stepped up or the level of players that they're able to match up in organizations has stepped up a level and cloud nine hasn't kept pace with that. Yeah. So to your first part of that question, after Worlds, as much as I didn't want it to happen, you could see Team Solomid making changes and making drastic changes. You could see that as a potential future for that team after Worlds. For Cloud9, you don't see that. And, like, yes, they're not a worse team. I don't think they're going to be, you know, at the bottom of the barrel scrapping out wins. I don't think that at all. But to see a team who you know, was really realistically a couple games, a couple plays off of making the semifinals go from that roster to what we have now is just confusing. Like, that's why it's not it's not a downgrade in terms of, like, actual skill or their, like, potential, but it's a downgrade in terms of, like, where they were at at that time as a roster. They seemed like they could have been like you said, the NA, the team in the NALCS, the the like hallmark team, because they had no, they had to make no real moves. They really didn't. They no. seemed complete. They would have at least had an easy spring split, in my opinion, because if all these other changes would have happened around them and they could have kept it together, like the comparative strength that they already had, can you know, combined with the consistency that we would have saw from them as far as just the team playing together, mm-hmm. it seems like kind of a no brainer for at least the spring split that they were going to be looking pretty strong. But now. Maybe not so much, and I think the other teams in the in NALCS right now are probably going. Oh, good! Like now, it's not going to look as bad when we like stumble out of the gate as we try to figure it out because everybody's going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, and I can see Cloud Nine thinking that it'd be like a preemptive measure where, yeah, they maybe they had some sort of inside knowledge about like who was going where and that they needed to make some sort of changes within their roster. Maybe you know, impact and contracts got these other offers and were considering them. They had to like figure out a way. Um, but I don't think that like changing things because every other team was going to get better by summer split is an actual like that doesn't make sense to me because you would have just continued on the consistency and the roster you have here I'd still say that it's that roster that they have Impact, Contracts, Jensen, Sneaky, and Smoothie. I don't see that anywhere below a top three team. Even with the rosters we have, cons- even considering the, when they find some sort of like uh, teamwork and consistency, I still consider them that roster one of the best rosters. Yep. So it's just it's just strange. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. No, and it's weird because I think we came into this week thinking we were going to be having this conversation about TSM. Like, what strange yeah. moves are they making? But now, like. I don't say they look like geniuses, but like it looks like a better move at this point, and Cloud9 well, is going to be hurting. There's yeah, couple- and it's just because if you look at the rest of the league, it's just so... Everything makes no sense. I know. It's like I can't. I, I keep wanting to use the word stacked, but that's not even right because it's not like they went and they plucked a bunch of top-tier players out of the LCK, 
right? Like for a for a lot of this, not all of it, for a good portion of these moves, it's just really moving pieces around within NALCS. But still, it just like you said, it feels weird and it feels different and it feels like there's pieces put together that are either going to work amazingly well and prove us all wrong or are going to like spontaneously combust and ruin some of these organizations. And I think that's where the uneasiness comes from is I wouldn't feel comfortable trying to predict what the like order of the top four teams in ALCS will look like after spring split now. Yeah. And I think that's why, I mean, I am remiss to use this word. I don't like it because I feel like we use it every single time the offseason happens in the NLCS, but it, I think why it feels so weird is because like maybe in some way with just these rosters on paper, we've achieved some sort of parity. Um, if you just look at the teams, it does. It's not like you said, they're not just like stacked, but they've just been sort of rearranged into where, you know, previously the NLCS, it's always, how many times have we watched these seasons and it's always just been TSM, CLG, T- or in Cloud9 at the top. Um, and especially they like they play out the regular season, maybe CLG, C9 are 1 and 2, and then like TSM sneaks their way into 3 or whatever. They're always in the contention. But I think that in general across the league, I could I could see C9, you know, hanging around 4 and 5 at this point. And, you know, somebody a team like uh, Clutch... Clutch Gaming, their their reported roster looks so freaking good. Yep. And who's to say if they just can't fi- if they can figure it out first, then they're going ahead. Or you know, um, who's in like Pop Optic, Power Evil, and Arrow? Are there like reported carries? I think that's a strong core. Yep. In the same way that I feel like a Sven, uh, Jensen, and Licorice top half of the map is like a kind of weaker core yep and but they've been a little more low-key like you talk about clutch you talk about optic and they haven't had like the big bang surprise moves right it hasn't been like out of left field so people aren't giving them as much lip service but like they may be the more turn out to be like the more solid cores the more solid moves that these teams have made you know there's a lot of talk including for myself about how maybe these organizations like clutch like the golden state warriors are going to come in and like splash a bunch of cash and that's not necessarily been the case, but they may be on the download just putting together solid squads. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I think with in, in regards to like someone like Clutch, they I, the rest of their you know they have like Solo and Apollo and Hahuko, which are all sort of like Apollo op, uh, Apollo and Hahuko are like pretty solid. They've like sort of proven themselves, especially last last summer split. They had like a pretty good showing in spring split too. They've been Apollo has like kind of redeemed himself as you know. Not the best AD carry by any means in North America, but certainly not the worst. They have Solo, who like is again another one who's been like challenged and like hardened by the Challenger series. Um, but I think they just really want to lock down these potential Febivin and Lyra moves. And like you have those two under your players, you know, Clutch is going to be here forever as long as the NALCS exists, and as long as they have those two players, yep. they can they can go forward. It's almost like, um, I mean. I'd hate to say this, and I hate to talk about Team Solomid again, but as long as these like leagues have gone, uh, as long as the NALs has existed, Team Solomid has always been in the conversation, just because they're either the best team or um, they had like the best players, or they just won championships. There's no ever thought that they would ever get relegated when relegation was a thing, and there's no thought that they would ever get um, denied a permanent partnership because that would just be 
suicide yes. <laughs> for Riot Games. So they were able. I mean, they were able to just hold on to this Bjergsen player, this Bjergsen esque player for so long. I can see that sort of happening in the at uh, the levels across the league now. Yeah, where you have um, a solid enough core that nobody's just flailing. Like they may yeah. be missing that one or two pieces because it's really what it comes down to, right? Like, and even honestly, what TSM is currently searching for, which is that one or two pieces that takes them to that next level. It just so happens exactly. for most of the rest of NALCS, that next level is being better than TSM as opposed to where TSM felt like they just needed that next level to actually compete at Worlds and go up against the LCK teams in order mm-hmm. to actually move past the quarterfinals uh, of Worlds. It's just a different level, but now like everyone feels like they're at that level. Yeah, the goals are a little bit different there, but I mean, it's a, it's different to just even see any sort of org besides the three that I mentioned or team liquid, they'll say they try to do it, but let's be real. They have never even like, they were never even close, Nope. but, but now like for them, they're making those moves to not even just, you know, compete in NA to win NA to dethrone team solo mid, um, and to compete on an international level. And you can kind of see that happening with like optic is like, yeah, I want power of evil. Like I know he can go up against, the best mid laner in the NLCS because he's done it every single time on the international stage. Yep. Like I know he can do that. Who's to say that like we can't like we're not gonna do it this year. Maybe next year, maybe two years down the line, we hold on to Power of Evil, we keep giving these big contracts, we get the we figure out what what kind of players he needs around him, and then we just go forward. And so it's it's you are seeing sort of I think that's why there's I just see a parody in terms of the rosters on paper and just sort of like uh, an assumed mindset of where they're going and where they're thinking long term. Um, but it's it's definitely that's why it's so weird. That's why it's so weird, because we haven't seen this before. No, no, we haven't. And there's still some pieces out there like 100 Thieves is still putting their roster together. There's rumors mm-hmm. that someday is going to join from Dignitas, which I think would be a good move for, yeah, for 100 with- Thieves. With Ryu and Meteos. Meteos and Ryu showed they had really good chemistry in Phoenix 1. Yep. Um, and also, like, someday... I, I think Inven Global said that he has, like, a reported $700,000 contract, which I don't know if that's totally true, but, like... Wow. The Cavs, <laughs> Cavs are spending some money, if that's true. That, that is a lot of money. I, someday is good. I don't know that he's 700000 good. I feel like every. I feel like it's kind of been the thing with someday is that like he was when the first came here he was supposed to be the feared top laner which was unfair to him because that doesn't really that's never really happened at least in terms of like the Korean import to NA like there's always been some struggle there in adapting so but I thought but when he first came in there's expectations like leveled on him that he was just going to be like the greatest and um, commanded any sort of respect and any sort of like paycheck really. And so maybe that's kind of outplay here. I still think he's a great top laner. I'm happy to have him in North America because he makes everyone else play better. But $700,000? Well, I mean, if the Cavs want to overpay, like you said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good for, good, for, good for someday. Yes, good, great for Make someday. Your money. It's like he'll be like the highest paid player to accomplish the least in NALCS. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> we'll we'll see how things shake out with hundred thieves, but it, it's just it's definitely a lot of money. There's a couple other interesting moves to talk about. Uh, Flame joins FlyQuest. FlyQuest probably 
least exciting uh, of of the moves so far. And to be, in, I mean, generally speaking, I think we were kind of all shocked to see FlyQuest be part of the NALCS. So any moves they make are a little stunning to us because we weren't necessarily expecting them to be here. What are your thoughts on Flame joining FlyQuest? It. I think Fly, which is so like their Fly signing, which is is just going to be hilarious. Fly, Fly, Fly is just going to be the funniest thing. Um, that's kind of like a shocking move, I think. Um, that one he would come to NA, and I think people, I think he's going to be underrated. Um, it's just the pieces around him don't feel that strong to support him. Right. Um, like Flame is great. Flame again, another another Korean top laner that I'm happy to have, and uh, in NA, so I'm happy he found a home. And Wild Turtle staying around, and it seems like they kind of wanted to build around him because he's the only one that was kept around. Yep. Or or maybe I don't know, didn't look for offers. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's the real that one. Means it's, yeah, maybe I don't know, but yeah, they have Flame and Anda, who was who Team Liquid previously brought. The contract from Immortal, so they sold them to FlyQuest, yep. which I figured they were going to do with somebody. There's there no too reason. Many people. It was just yeah, they they bought too many people. Then they had to make money off of it. Um, yeah, they imported Fly. Um, he was previously playing at Gold Coin, and then yeah, Wild Turtle and Stunt. And it's just I don't know nothing nothing about that excites me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, I feel feel bad to say that, but like I don't see this team competing at the top if anything they're maybe like the maybe the clear bottom i don't know yeah so it's really, if you think about like the teams like echo fox or fielding who wasn't another team that's kind of just been around there they just look way stronger yeah yeah i agree and, and i wonder how much of this had to do with the rumors that FlyQuest was on that bubble to get into nalcs franchising and maybe that hurt their negotiations early on. Because we don't know how long conversations like this have been happening, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if FlyQuest was at one point not sure they were going to make it, it could be a case of where they're just kind of scrambling and picking up pieces that they can as they go and have not had as much time or did not have the negotiating power to pull in some of the bigger names of the organizations that probably knew for a while were going to be part of, of the franchising when it came up in 2018. I mean, obviously we talk about... Com- of organizations like TSM and Cloud9 that we kind of knew were going to be there. Mm-hmm. The NBA franchises, you know, as soon as they were willing to toss money in and FlyQuest maybe just kind of left by the sidelines because they were rumored to be one of the teams that was out. And this is what they were able to uh, just cobble together in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty... That I mean, you can make a case for that for sure. That sounds pretty likely. Uh, yeah, I mean, nothing here excites me. The biggest thing that excites me about FlyQuest right now is that they finally decided to change their logo into something that looks much better. <laughs> Miles better. Could they have made it worse, like, honestly? Mm, don't tempt them. <laughs> They're like, they, oh, we'll hire that guy. He'll make it worse. Yeah. Everybody will want a t-shirt. Uh, one other thing worth talking about is kind of talking about the state of SKT. You know, we did talk quite a bit about are they going to blow things up, and I think the answer for the most part is no. I mean, there have been departures, but they were departures that I think you and I both assumed were going to happen. Huni is gone. Well, that'll be interesting to see if he comes back to NA. Peanut is gone as well, which was another one that we kind of just assumed was going to happen. Yeah. Um, Huni is reported to be going to that Echo Fox lineup um, with, like, Dardock and Alltech and Adrian, which is just... That sounds good. That sounds good. I mean, if anybody can tangle, wrangle up that Dardock personality, it's going to be Rick Fox. <laughs> but 
he's gone. He's going to Echo Fox, apparently. Um, and Peanut has left to go to Longzoo, yep. which seems like an incredibly stacked roster. Yes. And you're left with uh, Blink, Faker, Bang, and Wolf, who all resigned with Coma. There have been some changes in their coaching structure. Um, some of their, their coaching staff have, have left the org or their contracts weren't um, renewed. But for the most part, I think the players that you're going to be seeing play every single uh, game this split, this upcoming split are the ones that you've seen. Um, there's that big top lane question, like who do they, who do they get, who do they fill there? Um, I don't know who they could possibly even... But I mean, nobody from KT is going. They can't. They wouldn't. Smeb wouldn't go. Um, Samsung is all staying together. Longzu. There's no reason for Khan to go up there. I don't know if they're like even thinking about wanting to field. You know, one of these superstar top laners. I think they've kind of realized that that doesn't work for their team. Right. Uh, with Pina and Huni, like it has to be somebody like an Untara who will sacrifice for the team and uh, let Faker shine. At the same time, as I say that, though, Marin is no longer contracted to Africa Freaks. And I don't think that there's any possibility of him coming back to SKT. But Just the thought of it. The the thought, because that was when Marin-era SKT was the most intimidating fearsome lineup i've ever seen at league of legends they were they were just unstoppable that was insane it was insane to watch um and i don't think he'll come back but i think they just have you know i think they know what they need in that position um and it's not somebody like huni no. or smeb or or khan they don't need the, that player the focus needs to be on faker i think they shook it up a little too much last season I mean, mm-hmm. get why they were trying to do it, right? They, we, it's obvious what the attempt at bringing Peanut on was supposed to do. Yeah. But, like, we talked about previously when it, we did our Worlds recap, like, it just didn't work out. Like, that a player of that caliber up there needs to be it, right? It, it can't be also Faker. And yes. Yeah. And maybe that'll turn out to be better, right? Like, arguably, yeah. they played better in a scenario where they weren't dealing with that situation. So it would seem kind of silly to let Peanut go and then just put a different player with the same set of problems for the team back in that spot. Exactly. And um, now they have, now they'll just be having Blink who can focus. And if there's any credibility to the rumors that, uh, that Banky is going to return as a coach to SKT, like, Blank is a perfect person to learn from Bangi. Like Bang, he could become, he could understand what Bangi, what Faker saw in Bangi and what Faker needed from Bangi as his like right hand of God. Um, I think Blake could learn from him if that happened, and that would be very terrifying. But I don't know. If, I don't know if those are really that true at this point. At some point, it just becomes fantasy booking, right? Like everybody's just really, it totally really does. I mean, there should be a whole like fantasy, like fantasy off-season drafting i feel like that would go so well in league of legends because everyone cooks up these like fantastical rosters in their head i myself do it all the time um and it's just exciting it's fun to think about but i don't i think that some of them are 
pretty clear pipe dreams. Yes, yes. So to wrap things up, I feel like things are starting to slow down a bit. We got the big deluge of news this week. What are the big pieces left out there that you think are going to have an impact once they land? Um, I mean, I guess impact going being confirmed. No pun intended. Um, I don't. I mean, the NALCS. I don't think I. I can't think of anything that would really shock me. I guess the biggest thing left there is Aframu, and where does he go? Um, right now, it's probably either in between Optic. Guardians has reportedly signed Matt. Echo Fox has reportedly signed Adrian. And Clutch has Hahuko. So really only left options left are Optic and 100 Thieves. Also, FlyQuest has Stunt. So he's going to go to one of those two, and... He's either going to be playing with Arrow or an unnamed 100 Thieves AD carry. <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest... That's a one puzzle piece remaining in this uh, and this NALCS puzzle. I think if we didn't get any of the XTSM members so like weirdly and nicely situated so quickly, um, those would be in play. But yeah, it just seems like the biggest question is where is Aphromu going? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to see how quickly it all came together. Like, I, I think we saw the first domino. No one knew that it was going to play out as quickly as it did. But mm-hmm. overall, exciting offseason as it always is. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to check out more of Alex's stuff, you can check out, of course, BR Esports on Instagram, BR Esports underscore on Twitter. Alex, thank you so much as always for joining us. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, you can catch our latest episode every Tuesday on iTunes, Overcast, Pocketcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and on our site at nerfthis.gg. Love us? Hate us? Leave us a review on iTunes. This helps more people discover the show, even if it's really just a Troll 7. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being trolled. If you want trolls via review? You want to leave a five star review and troll us? That is great. Like the no, perfect combo. See, you're just opening up a can of worms. Like we're gonna get some really dumb stuff in there, and people are like, "Great!" Like just like the last time we had people put like drink recipes or something stupid in there. Like, I'm like, okay, this makes no no sense. But five star reviews review, are good. Reviews are yeah. great. Reviews with drink recipes even better. Just saying. Oh man! All right, all right. You open, you open that doorway. Let that people run through it. I will. Uh, and for, of course, for the latest show and bonus content, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Nerf This GG on Twitter at Nerf This Crew. Or if you're not one of those millennials and you still use email, you can shoot us an email at show at Nerf This GG. And coming up on next week's show, we've got Doctor J from Space Station Gaming and John Horseman from Well Met to talk a little bit more about the Hearthstone reveals. Kevin Hit will be back to preview two more of the Boston Major Legends teams. Jules. Scott has the latest from the HGC offseason, and we're going to be talking to Todd Harris from Hi-Rez about the upcoming Paladins World Championship at Hi-Rez Expo. That plus the Vainglory World Championships, the Capcom Cup, E-League Rocket League Cup, and maybe more? I don't even know if there's enough time to do what I just listed, but we're going to try. <laughs> this uh, this uh, eSports train does not stop and nope. just keep going. For all of you that tweet us whenever we skip a game that week, like next week's episode is for you. Of course, the like smite people be like, "Where's the smite preview?" But it's don't worry, probably the week after. It's that. the week after. Cut us a break. <laughs> but that's gonna do it for this episode of Nerf. This we will see everybody again next Tuesday.